Welcome back to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. I'm Bobby Sudoyle Hazard. I am so excited about this week's guest. I'm just going to jump right into it. And I'm going to start by saying this is in no way, this episode is in no way sponsored by this guest's company. Um, but I do fangirl a lot in it and it's, I truly, truly mean it. Um, so that's like my FTC disclosure right there. Um, or to tell you not to get mad at me because I don't have anything to disclose. Anyway, um, Dari Passarello Herman is the owner and creator of Sparkly Soul Headbands. Now, why am I a fangirl of headbands? As women who run and are active in any sport know, um, headbands are the bane of our existence. They either give us headaches because they're way too tight, um, or they slip off our head for whatever reason. And, um, the solution that Dari came up with after experiencing that issue on her own, um, and really she like literally by hand created these to start with, um, you know, these headbands are amazing. That's all I could say. I just love them. And any picture you see me in that I have a headband on, it's a sparkly soul. Um, I've been wearing them for God, six years, maybe. Um, and they're only eight years old. So, um, yeah. So anyway, Dari is, has a really interesting background because she didn't just start out making headbands, right? No, she is, um, trained as a lawyer. She was a lawyer for a really long time. Um, she started her career off at um, Bob Wolf and Associates in Boston, which back in the day was one of the premier um, sports agencies. And um, then she went down to FAME, which was, um, I don't even remember all what the acronym means, but another very high-powered sports entertainment agency down in D.C. And then she spent quite a few years at Nielsen um, and you know in-house at Nielsen for however many years and she keeps encountering this problem with the stupid headbands and she started tinkering while she was still working there and after a while um, realized that she could actually turn this into a business and took the crazy leap to start her own business so um, she has some phenomenal stories and I really really did enjoy this conversation um, I'm hoping that you know as time goes on and she has new prototypes that maybe I'll get some to try. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, even if like the thought of talking about headbands makes your eyes roll back, listen to her stories. You know, we don't get to the headbands until, you know, towards the end. Um, she, she had a really interesting path. And if you're interested in sports law, um, this is an, a really good one to listen to. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Dari Passarello Herman. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Um, I'm a bit of a girl fan or fangirl, however you say it, about your company. So this makes me really happy. Uh, thank you very much. We appreciate awesome, sparkly ladies like you. <laughs> so um, how did you fall in love with sports? It was a gradual, um, I think, phase of love, if you will. I was very interested in entertainment law. 
and I attended a symposium at Harvard Law in Boston. And the COO at the time of a sports agency called Bob Wolf Associates was speaking. And he was telling uh, the audience, which was mostly comprised of students, about the basic merging of entertainment and sports and how it kind of is all one. Um, and this is going back. This was probably when I was in school. So we're looking at probably about 94, 95, kind of before the dissemination that we have now with the Internet and how it is really one and it really opened my eyes up to a lot. So I really kind of fell in love with the business of sports, if you will, um, and the different paths that you can really take with it. Did you play sports growing up? Um, I played softball and I was a cheerleader. And when you were figuring out, you know, where to go, go to college and stuff like that was playing sports or cheerleading part of that decision making or, you know, what, what made you choose the college that you chose? Um, I went to Ithaca College. Um, can't say enough good things about it. It was a fantastic place educationally, personally, socially. Um, I really chose Ithaca because I wanted something that was a little different than what I was used to, which was growing up in New York City. Um, and that provided me the opportunity to experience all that. Sports definitely factored into it. Um, I looked into the softball program. I was nowhere near good enough for that, so I became a fan. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in my mind, I was, but uh, the reality of it, absolutely not. Um, I was on the cheerleading team up at Ithaca College, so I had a lot of fun with that. Um, it definitely did factor in um, when I was choosing the school I was going to, but wasn't a major component. Um, the educational side of it was really my main factor, and they had a very, very good communications program, which I was extremely interested in. What did you think you wanted to be at that point? Um, it changed weekly <laughs> in the minds <laughs> of an 18-year-old. Um, I knew I wanted to do something with television, with entertainment. Um, I wasn't quite sure what. I didn't know if it was kind of on the advertising side of things, on the public relations side of things, sports, entertainment. And again, it kind of changed weekly. Uh, the more I learned, I kind of wanted to do a little bit of everything. And, you know, a few, uh, well, I guess more than a few years later, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to really kind of merge all the worlds together, entertainment, sports, television. It's, it's really been a fantastic ride. Where did law school come in? When did you start thinking, eh, maybe I'll be a lawyer? Um, probably about my sophomore or junior year, I would say, of college. Um, as I said, I was interested kind of in entertainment. I was interested in the business side of media. So I thought law school would be a logical next step for me, and I would be able to kind of transfer that into anything I really wanted to do. So I uh, made the decision that I did want to go to law school. I really wanted to stay in a city, whether that was going to be um, you know, New York, uh, if it was going to be Boston, 
and really focused on that. So um, applied, took my, I guess, took my LSATs first, applied, um, spent many a Friday and Saturday nights at home in college studying for the LSATs while everybody else was going out. And uh, I believe I took it up at Cornell University in Ithaca. And then LSAT and then uh, took it from there. And then, so where did you end up landing? I wound up landing in Boston, Massachusetts, um, and another great place. I really look back on my education as something that really created a lot of good memories, good friends, um, and a really solid educational foundation that I'm able to even you know, use today. Uh, I wound up at New England School of Law in Boston. I liked the program that they had. I liked the flexibility that they had, and I liked that it was in a big city. A big, little, big city. <laughs> big little big city, that's for sure. Boston uh, really is a place where everybody knows your name, but it had a lot of opportunity <laughs> for me um, you know, with the sports teams up there, go yeah. Patriots. Um, you know, it's it's the, the opportunity up there was great. They had some great franchises up there. They had a lot of good businesses, a lot of good uh, ad agencies. So uh, New England had a very uh, high bar pass rate. And that was important to me because I really wanted to go to school and work. Uh, and New England provided me that opportunity to do that. You um, you mentioned Bob Wolf and Associates before. Um, can you tell us about some of the internships you ended up doing? Sure. So when I was in law school, um, I guess I caught a lot of flack, if you will, from my friends and uh, anybody really in the law field. I was very, very fortunate to have a wonderful internship when I was in law school at Bob Wolf Associates. So Bob Wolf was really, for those uh, listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Bob Wolf, Bob Wolf was really one of, if not the first sports agent uh, that really was in the field. And he really led the way, I think, for the the field of sports agents. He uh, most notably represented um, Larry Bird. He had new kids on the block back in the day. He had, I should say, <laughs> sports and entertainment. Uh, and again, go NKTOB. Is uh-huh. that right? New kids on NK, whatever. <laughs> new kids on the block. They were known as We should that know that. <laughs> And I'm sitting here at my fingers, N-K. T-O-V, <laughs> um, yeah. You got it. Uh, so the new kids on the block. No, new kids, N-K-O-T-B. Oh my gosh, sorry. I know, I, I literally <laughs> if I had a pen in front of me, I'd have to write this out. But they were known, formerly known as new kids on the block. Uh, Larry King, Mo Vaughn, uh, Tommy Glavin. Huge, you know, huge clientele. And it was a wonderful opportunity for me. It was just what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to school, learn about law, but also be able to learn the business of entertainment and sports. So had a great opportunity. Um, I actually met the chief operating officer of Bob Wolf's, as I said, at this Harvard Law Symposium, and it really opened my eyes to what was out there. But um, as I mentioned, I caught a lot of flack from my friends who were basically saying to me, you need to do a clerkship. You need to go work in a, a law firm. You're not taking the traditional path And my thought process was, wow, this is a great opportunity. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm surrounding myself with some really awesome and just smart people. And I really just took in everything I possibly could and did as many hours as I possibly could uh, without compromising school. And I had a very full, full years uh, working there as an intern. 
I like that you mentioned how people kind of gave you flack and that you were, you know, saying that you were diverging from what was the standard path. Because I get this question a lot from young women um, and men, but mostly young women reach out to me who want to get into sports law, want to do something similar to what I'm currently doing. And they want a, like a color by numbers, like step by step, what to do. Um, And the question's always, is it better to do this versus this or this? And And I look at them and I'm like, dude, I was a waitress for two years when I first started as a lawyer. Like, <laughs> I don't know why you're asking me about it. Like, you know, best case scenario here. I'm like, but in reality, there isn't one way. Like, I can, within the league that I work in right now, yes, there may be certain big law firms that tend to churn out lawyers in my league, right? But, there's also a greater number of people who have gone different ways to getting into their roles. And so unless you're going to end up at one of those two law firms, right, um, which most people are not, you know, you've got to kind of do it a different way. And so what, when you were going through that, how did you respond to your colleagues or you know, what did those conversations look like? What did that look like with your parents if you were trying to explain it to them? Um, you know, everything you said, yes, yes, and yes. Um, <laughs> it was kind of a different path for sure. I mean, my family was very supportive. Um, and actually, yeah, again, knock on wood, I have been so fortunate to work with some really great people. Um, and the people I did bounce it off of that I had worked with, uh, um, while I was in law school, they said, go do it. You know, it's an opportunity. You can always go back to what you're doing now if it doesn't work out, but you'll never know unless you try. But, uh, yeah, I kind of jumped right in the cold water with this and created my own opportunity. And that's really, I think the most important part for anybody who wants to go into sports law, uh, entertainment law, the sports business, the entertainment business. You know, I hear from so many students, I want to be a sports lawyer and I want to be a entertainment lawyer. All right. Well, what does that mean to you? What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. And I think it's so important to really really kind of focus on, well, this is what I want to do. How can I get there? Because the job isn't going to pop up. Um, it's not going to create itself. You really, as I said, have to create your own opportunities. So I just tuned everybody out that was telling me, oh, you can't do this. You're, you're literally ruining your, your law school career by not interning and, and, you know, not doing a clerkship at a law firm and or, you know, slash working for a judge um, in the court system. But I always felt that I could always go do that later on if I wanted to and really just focused on learning as much as I could doing as many hours as I could. You know, I certainly wasn't earning the money for doing it, 
But uh, the, the pay for me really came into learning. I took in everything I could and I really surrounded myself with you know, some of the best people in the industry. And as I said, you know, these are people who, you know, to this day, I am forever indebted to a lot of who I still work with. I still see. Um, but, you know, if you ask, people are really willing to help. And I had some great mentors. I, you know, I did everything I was asked to do in terms of responsibilities. Nothing was too, you know, small or low for me to do. If somebody wanted coffee, I ran out and got coffee. Um, you know, if somebody wanted me to stay late and do work, I stayed late and I did work. I took everything in that I possibly could um, and it worked out. And, you know, the irony was I felt, you know, again, you kind of look everything in the rearview mirror. Everybody who gave me a hard time about what I was doing and, you know, when people give you a hard time, it's not an isolated incident. It's an ongoing thing where you hear it all the time where it's finally like, mm-hmm. OK, enough. I get it. Got it. Um, those are, and literally, I can count the people on my you know, my hands. Those are the same people. Fast forward a few years later, we're like, hey, how do I get a job in sports? How do I get a job in entertainment? And it's just you kind of, you know, know that you did the right thing and you were on kind of the right course. So, yeah, you just can't really listen to anybody else. You know, surround yourself <laughs> with the people who support you. I mean, that was my family. Uh, that was a handful of friends. We're like, yeah, we get it. And uh, again, some really good mentors. So those internships, and, you know, I want to caveat this question for the listeners. Like, you know, we're we're talking about a few years back. So things have certainly changed in how internships look and are are managed in companies, right? Um, But at that time, what did that... What were you doing? What what were the actual responsibilities that you had, and and who were you interacting with at that point? Sure, um, my responsibility permit pretty much everything that you know one others didn't want to do, um, or that others uh, needed somebody to do. So really, I was doing everything from. PowerPoint presentations for the marketing side, for the uh, endorsement side of the business when we were interacting with like corporate, uh, our corporate partners that we worked with. It was, you know, doing scheduling for the athletes, uh, making sure people showed up where they were supposed to go to. Um, (laughs) You know, it was, you know, things like that and just really, you know, dealing with accountability uh, for the clients and really anything internally. If somebody needed me to rearrange, the the file cabinets and the files inside. I would do it. Um, while I did it, I made sure I read everything. I learned everything. Everything is an opportunity. Um, you know, and I hear now a lot of times um, with, you know, people I interact with, well, I don't want to do that. And, you know, I went to law school and I shouldn't have to do that. Well, that's how you learn. You get really kind of um, a big picture of the industry. And I think it's important to learn. Um, to answer your question, who I was interacting with, I was interacting with everybody. Um, I was interacting with, you know, as I walked into, you know, I'd trail on any meetings I could go to. If somebody would take me along with them, I was there. I sat there. I listened. I took everything in. um, And I think it really kind of helped me develop to be doing what I'm doing now. But really, I interacted with the the, the heads of teams. I interacted um, with CEOs. And I may not have, you know, interacted in the traditional sense of things, um, but I interacted. There was days. 
I spent in, you know, a copy room with the folks who headed up um, the, you know, administrative side of things. You interact with all sorts of different people and everybody can teach you something. And I think the most important thing is you never know who knows who. And as I said, it all kind of comes full circle. So I think it's important to be able to learn from everybody you are interacting with because everybody has something to teach you. I love so much about what you just said, the meetings thing. I mean, especially when you're starting out, just being a shadow and going and sitting, even if you're not at, quote unquote, at the table and just being there and learning about what's important to the business and how people speak during meetings or the ways that they prepare for them. There's just so much learning that can be done simply by doing that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, there's so much to learn from everyone. And it's just very frustrating to me when you get a lot of students who call, whether it's, you know, students that were from the same school you went to or people who contact you off of, you know, Facebook or social media, whatever. Um, I'm always willing to talk to anybody who's in school who want to kind of take a a career path in sports, particularly, um, you know, females who really kind of want to step into this realm and want to speak to other females who can kind of lift them as well. Um, You know, it's so important to really just learn what you can and create your own opportunities. Um, Be present and show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. What, um, you know, you get through law school, what's your next move? What and how did you make it? Sure. Um, I, after law school, so I stayed with uh, Bob Wolf Associates for a few years. Uh, at that point, I really kind of needed to spread my wings a little bit uh, and see where I was going, what I was going to do. And there are still a lot of things I felt that I could still learn. Uh, one of the things I did is I went to a event management company uh, while I was studying for my bar exam. And I worked at their front desk, uh, answering phones, doing filing. It gave me the flexibility to be able to study at night for my bar exam. And I, again, I was learning so much about an industry I thought I knew a lot about, but I really didn't. How to put on an event, um, what's important when you're at an event, strategically, how do you execute an event, what's important to the client. So again, I really took in everything I could while I studied for my bar exam, and it was a, uh, it was a temporary position, but it was incredibly important to me to be able to study for my bar um, and be able to still do something in sports and do something in entertainment. So the event management opportunity really afforded me that. Uh, so I stayed there while I took my bar exams. I took uh, New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts were the three bars I took. Dear God. Um, what? I know. I don't, I'm not really quite sure why, but I did. Oh, wait, all at the same time? <laughs> I took two at the same. I believe if I recall correctly, you can only take two. Um, I was going to say, so I I don't, took, yeah, I don't know how that schedule York, would New work Jersey. otherwise. <laughs> I'm, I'm not shy. I was, I didn't know any better at the time. And I, I always, I love school. I wish I could go back to school right now. I love learning. I, mm. I do. Um, I think I'm one of those people who just kind of love to take it all in. So I, I enjoyed t- taking the bar exam. Um, <laughs> I learned a lot of things that, um, 
I didn't, and again, I thought I knew that I didn't really know, but yeah. uh, I took New York, I took New Jersey, um, and I knew I was going to be in Massachusetts, if not temporarily, um, for quite some time. So I took Massachusetts as well. Um, and after that, uh, opportunity came knocking and I was absolutely delighted because I had another fantastic opportunity to go to a sports agency in Washington, D.C. Uh, that was Falk Associates Management mm-hmm. Enterprises, also known as FAME. Uh, and that was David Falk's agency, who was you know, the sports agent Um to work for or if you're an athlete to have as an agent his focus was on uh, basketball with the NBA athletes and I believe at the time I was there he had a roster of about I don't know 45 to 50 NBA athletes most notably he represented uh, and uh, represented Michael Jordan um, and he really kind of paved the groundwork in his industry in terms of uh, the commercial aspect of sports with endorsements and really having, again, that integration of sports and entertainment. You have Michael Jordan, who was the athlete, but you also had Michael Jordan and Space Jam, Um, (laughs) you know, which was kind of cool because at the time it really wasn't done. I mean, Hollywood and sports really kind of, there was no crossover there. So he really pioneered that. And I had a fantastic um, boss, well, I was interviewing with at the time who headed up all the, uh, off the court endeavors, uh, for the athletes. So the sponsorships, the endorsements and things like that. And I kind of at that point knew that that was a direction I wanted to go in. I didn't want to become an, an agent, uh, but I knew I liked working with the commercial portfolios of the athletes. So I interviewed there for quite some time and I got a phone call that I did get the job. I was living up in Boston still at the time. I did get the position um, and it was business development manager. So I was kind of the liaison with the legal department and also the marketing department. So it was the best of both worlds for me because I really liked the business of sports. I didn't want to be an attorney in the traditional sense of the word, but I liked the endorsement deals. I thought it was great um, and it provided a lot of opportunity. So I got a phone call. I think it was maybe on a Thursday night and this is in the late 90s at this point and the NBA draft was the beginning of the following week and they said we think you're great we think you're awesome you got the job we need you down here uh, Monday and I was <laughs> like it's in this Monday so um, yeah I literally I packed up and you know moved my life down to DC in a matter of days and again if I recall correctly my middle sister was graduating from Villanova in Philadelphia, right outside Philadelphia. And I hit her graduation on the move on down. Um, I went from Boston, stopped for her graduation. And then I went down and started my job with uh, fame on that very Monday. And it was amazing. It was, I, I, to this day, I still love working. And again, I, I, yes, yeah, said it earlier before I've always loved working I love what I do and it was such a great opportunity and you know as law school was over and I kind of had a quote-unquote real job at this point I I did the same thing I took in anything that I possibly could 
um, my boss, uh, his name was Rob Urbach, and he handled all of the, as I said, kind of the marketing endeavors for Falk Associates at that time. And it, it, I, I couldn't, again, had a better mentor who taught me, gave me responsibility, and it, it was a wonderful opportunity to be there. And I was absolutely thrilled because at the time, I, I feel it was one of the last, if not the last kind of mom and pop sports agency, it wasn't a big corporate conglomerate. It was, I think we had maybe 16 people working there, 20 people working there. Uh, we knew the athletes. We worked with them. It was a very close-knit team. Um, it was very busy, but uh, it was it was a wonderful opportunity. So that's where I landed right after law school. Which is just unbelievable. Um how, yeah, it was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just one of those like, well, okay. Um, how long was the interview process for that? Do you remember? Very. It was yeah. Very, very. It was one of those situations where, again, you're dealing with some really high profile athletes and uh, rightfully so. They're very selective as to you know, who comes into that kind of close-knit corporate environment because it wasn't you know, a big monstrosity of things as, you know, kind of I think sports has turned into where you've got this department, that department. Literally, it was – you know, as I said, probably 16 to 20 people working there. Uh, the process was very long. I interviewed with, I think, everyone multiple times. Uh, <laughs> I interviewed with some of the athletes. I interviewed with some of the athletes' moms. Stop uh, it. Well, they, yeah, they were there and they were like, hey, this is so-and-so's mom. You know, this is, you know, this is Dari. She's interviewing here. Why don't you guys chat? You know, at the time, I think it was more so, oh, why don't you guys grab coffee? But, you know, looking back again, rearview mirror, yeah, I'm sure that was part of the interview process. Um, and I think it's important because you need somebody who is uh, discreet. Uh, and again, this is before social media kind of hit. This is at the time when AOL uh, chats were big with athletes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was a very, very, very long interview process, a very tedious interview process. Um, and I'm sure the candidate pool was pretty big, but you know, I think I wanted it more than anybody. And I think I was willing to do what was needed in terms of hours um, and being a contributing part of the team who wasn't just there to say, oh, I work in sports and I work with athletes. Um, you know, it's not as glamorous and it's not as sexy as everybody thinks it is. It's, you know, especially when you're working um, long, long days, long, long hours. And, you know, there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes, but it was you know, a great opportunity. But yes, a very long interview process. I bring that up because I know a lot of people, um, a lot of young people get frustrated at, at how long that process can be. Um, we're so used to pretty instantaneous decisions and um, instant gratification because the internet, right? And so um, it, I know people who have interviewed for months, you know, and it's like, one month they're doing all sorts of interviews and then there's a month of quiet and then the next month they're back for more interviews. I mean, it really can take a while. And, um, I'm just, I just love that they had you talking with some of the athletes and their moms. That's yeah, hilarious. Cool. Yeah. That's really, but that's what you'd be dealing with on a daily basis. And right. you know, to your point, yeah, you know, 
I, if you don't get a job that you are applying for, I think it is so important. And I think it's very overlooked these days. I mean, to me, it would make the world a difference. If you don't get a job, you know, I think it's so important to reach out to the person that you interviewed with, reach out to the person who got you the interview, whether that's the HR department or whoever facilitated that. Hey, thank you. Obviously, very disappointed to learn I didn't get the position. I'm here. If anything else comes up, please keep me in mind. If it's okay with you, I'm going to reach out to you every few weeks just to kind of stay on your radar. And again, please, if anything comes up, I'm here. I would love to interview for it, no matter what the position is, um, as long as it's kind of you know related in terms of where I'm going. I think you can't you can't go wrong with that, and I think that's what people want to hear. You don't ghost the person mm-hmm. if you don't get the job. Don't disappear. Don't not send thank you notes. Be in front of them. Be available. Uh, be ready to assume responsibility because when opportunity comes knocking, you know, as I found, no pun intended, you need to move and you need to move quickly. And uh, it's it really sets a good pathway for yourself. For sure. I also like the um, idea of, and I've, I know I've done this in a few instances of, you know, if there was somebody within that process that you really clicked with, um, particularly if it's the person who might be making the ultimate decision, you know, in that same email being like, I would love to get your feedback on, you know, what I can do or what skills I, I need to work on, um, in order to be able to get the job the next time or something along those lines, right? Get that feedback. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, how else do you know, right? Because otherwise you're like, well, uh, A, I have no idea who I'm going up against, but also like, where was I lacking? And what do I do to, to, to make that better the next time I apply for a job? No, absolutely. I, th- I think that's really important. One of the things I did... Um, when I was down in D.C. was I also taught at Catholic University Law School a course on sports law. And that was probably one of the main things. Everybody was taking that class, obviously wanted to go into sports. Uh, and that was one of the main things. You know, how can I improve on what I'm doing? And I really, I think, pounded into everything that we did the uh, semesters that I taught um, you know, how can I improve? What did I do wrong? What did I do right? And there's a real fine line with that too, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the, the ability you have to connect with people today. Again, I preface it with, we didn't have at the time, there was no LinkedIn, there was no Facebook, there was no, you know, Twitter. I think a very, um, passive yet interactive way of doing that. That's awesome. And I think that's fantastic feedback. That's invaluable again. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's all going to be, you know, tone and delivery, right? Like, you know, like, not like, hey, what was wrong with me? (laughs) Like, you know, um, it's important for me to to grow um, throughout my career. So if you have any um, constructive feedback on, you know, my skill set or how I... um, perform during the interview process, I would, I would, you know, I'm very open and would be grateful for that, that type of thing. Um, you know, you have to be able to take that constructive criticism, right. And, um, very important. Yeah. In a way that is going to be healthy, but also sometimes you won't get a response and know that that's, has nothing to do with you. 
No, no, not at all. I think people are just busy. You know, I find myself doing that sometimes not with people interviewing, but just kind of with life. And then, you know, I think in my head, I respond to them, but I have so many emails that are coming in and I'm like, oh, wait, I really didn't. I thought I did. But no, I, again, just, you know, follow up a few weeks later and yeah. uh, there's a lot. People want to help. It's just a matter of asking them. My poor friends, sometimes this happens with text messaging where like I'll be about to jump in the shower and I see a text message and I'm like, I'll, all right, let me just jump in the shower and then I'll get back. And then three days later, I realize I never responded. But in your mind, you did. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> and so sometimes, and this happens with emails too, like I'll see it, but I'm about to jump in a meeting or something and it's, you know, still in my inbox or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Absolutely, right there with you. I'm so excited. Pitchers and catchers have reported we are in baseball time now. I love spring training baseball. And you can love it as well by going down to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. Um, Arizona's Cactus League is in Greater Phoenix, and it boasts 15 teams and 10 stadiums, all within a 50-mile radius. Truly, spring training is so much fun, and there's always a ton of accessibility to players. You get to experience that true small ballpark feel, and you know when you're not at the ballparks, you can go do some fun stuff. Wander around the city where there are amazing restaurants and bars, or maybe you want to go on a hike or some biking. There's also hot air balloons and some skydiving so you can see those incredible landscapes that Arizona has to offer. There's literally everything you could need. And if you've got kiddos, well, Arizona has tons of family-friendly resorts and hotels that offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages, including water parks, some horseback rides, games, and activities. And as I said before, spring training really is the best. It's one of my favorite times of year. You'll never forget it. Your kids will never forget it. So I think you should go and plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training. How long were you at fame? And, you know, uh, what what did you... What did you take from that experience that that helped you in your next role? No, absolutely. Uh, it was again. You know, I, I look back and I just pinch myself with the opportunity and you know the great people I worked with. Um, I was at Fame a little over a year, so probably I think about eighteen months. Um, I would have stayed there longer. I absolutely loved it, but I missed the Northeast terribly. I missed, I'm from New York City area and I was up in school in Boston and was up there for quite some time. So really miss the Northeast. I love DC. Uh, I get down there a lot, but did I miss my family. So I wanted to come home to be a little bit closer to them uh, because I was doing a lot of hours. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot of hours and I really needed that kind of balance in my life to have my family, my close friends around me. So I made a very difficult decision to come back up north um, and I took a job in television this time managing um, the sports portfolios at um, – at Nielsen, which was the TV ratings company at the time that um, 
I was there, what I did was I managed the sports properties there. And uh, it was a little bit more legal uh, than I was used to in the past. As I said, I was doing more business development endorsements, but I really wanted to build my background and my skill set and do more with legal and business affairs. So I took a uh, position at Nielsen TV Ratings and I was there, oh goodness, uh, probably about 15 years, I want to say. Wow. Somewhere, somewhere in that area, give or take. But yeah, I was there for a while. I liked that I had the balance of uh, everything that, as I said, you know, you kind of don't know what path you're on. You don't know where you're starting, but somehow you end up where you're supposed to be. So I had the mix of media. I had the mix of sports. Um, I had the business of entertainment. Uh, and it all kind of was rolled into one, which was really nice. I had the opportunity to work with advertisers. I had the opportunity to work with the ad agencies. So it really kind of all morphed into the perfect job, if you will. First of all, 15 years is almost A at long, this stage, like unheard of, right? <laughs> like, and I always... I always say it's a marker of a, a good organization, though, when you do have staff um, and um, employees that have been there for a significant period of time, because you know that means that they don't hate you. <laughs> like, you know, the organizational culture must be good in that regard. Um, I also really love that you never went the law firm route, and. Um, you know, so many people get stuck on, you know, as we talked about before, on that conveyor belt that you feel like you have to be on when you are in law. Right, right. No doubt, no doubt. No, I've always been uh, in-house or working at uh, sports agencies. So I've never, I mean, I did, while I was in school, I did some, you know, to pay the bills. I worked at a few law firms, um, you know, a few hours here, a few hours there, but my focus always was doing the non-traditional path. The role at Nielsen, how... How involved from a legal standpoint were you as opposed to the business affairs? I, I know in some organizations, um, there, there are like the overarching legal departments, like up high that handle all the litigation and employment stuff. And, and then it kind of trickles down to like your, I don't know, business unit attorneys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of more like what you were at Nielsen? I did a lot of contractual work. Um, I enjoyed the contract side of the business. I did a lot of the business advisory. So as as an attorney in that role, my job was really to be there for the business folks and strictly in an advisory capacity. If you do this, this, and this, this is what the potential outcomes are. If you do this, this, and this, this is what the potential outcomes are. Those are the business unit heads. They're doing what they do because they're really good at it. Um, I'm there to support the business. I'm there to support the business growth while minimizing risk. I got involved in absolutely nothing um, with litigation. Um, because we were that good that we never went to litigation. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay. um, the, I got involved with nothing with that. I mean, we had outside counsels that did with that a really good team. But again, I, I keep going back to the same point. I hadn't 
fantastic boss. Uh, his name was David Schwartzleber. He is the, um, I believe he's at the Y in uh, New York City now as their general counsel. Uh, amazing man. Learned so much from him. There was never a day I didn't learn something from him. And even as I advanced in my career, and uh, we're talking about the beginning of the conversation when I was, you know, interning at Bob Wolf Associates, uh, I was able to grow. And in my role, I was at, when I did uh, leave Nielsen, I was, um, oh goodness, amazing how quick you forget the long titles. I was vice president of business and legal affairs, uh, associate general counsel there. So I had a lot of responsibility, but at the same time, you know, you can never stop learning from fantastic people that you surround yourself with. But my role really kind of was, again, advising the business folks. And I enjoyed it because I had the mix of sports, media, entertainment. And, you know, some days are more than others um, in a particular skill set. But really just being the advisory person to our business team. Throughout your career up until this point, can you talk a little bit about how how it was for you as and I'm, I'm making a conjecture here based on the timeline, I'm guessing you were probably one of very few women um, working, whether it's at Bob Wolf or Fame or even Nielsen at that time in these types of capacities. Yes, that is accurate. But again, going back to where I started, uh, I actually got my job at Bob Wolf Associates because the gentleman who was speaking, um, his name was Greg Clifton. And I believe, again, he was a chief operating officer. I went up to him after this symposium was over and I said, wow, you know, I thought it was really cool. Everything you talked about. I never really thought about it from the perspective of sports is entertainment because, you know, I've been so focused on entertainment. He said, no, you know, there's a whole big world of opportunity out there. And I think it's awesome when I see women like you who are interested in learning about it because he said the sports business really does need more women in it. Um, he said, you know, anything I could do or anything any of my colleagues can do to help out with that, please let us know. And, you know, they all made good on their word with that. It wasn't just kind of talk. It was something that they really wanted to see more women in the industry. Um, and that's why, as I said, as I move on with my career, I think it's so important to kind of lift other women in the industry. Anytime you could be a resource for them, to talk to them, to tell them a little bit about what you did. Um, I think it's awesome what you're doing. It kind of really brings it to the forefront. But no, there wasn't a lot of women in sports. Uh, there wasn't a lot of women in entertainment. You know, thankfully that is changing. But all good things take time. So, you know, little steps become big steps and then it just becomes the norm. So, again, congratulations to you and doing what you are doing because you really are kind of, you know, the trailblazer with doing this and again, bringing it to the forefront. And I think that's so important. Dialogue and mindfulness is really important. Oh, thank you. And as you were just talking, um, I pulled up LinkedIn real quick because I'm like, Greg Clifton. I know Greg. <laughs> He's awesome. He's so, really good, good man. Yeah. And so it doesn't surprise me, you know, that, um, uh, that, that he would do that and, and be involved in your story. Um, I just, I was like, wait a second, is it the same Greg? Um, and he is a very good guy. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you for, you know, your kind words about what I'm, I've been doing with the pod. It's, um, 
it's been the reaction and the the feedback has been incredible. And um, I do think that, you know, we're, we're hitting a lot of um, younger people who are looking to get into the industry and, and it's great to, to get their thoughts, but also, you know, women like you and, and your stories and thoughts out there. Um, because I mean, God, I, I didn't have anybody to look up to at that time, you know, when I was in yeah, college. It is tough. Um, so at some point, um, you start running. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I run a lot. <laughs> uh, and I bring this up not because I'm a run nerd, um, but I am. Um, but Yay. because we it, love run nerds. <laughs> it, um, it, it really impacted, ended up impacting your career. So let's talk about that. How did, how did you start running and loving running and, and how did it help you, you know, come up with the idea to make the pivot that you did? And another one of those things where you just kind of jump into the cold water and just do it because there's <laughs> things that I've done in my career. I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, one of them was leaving practicing law, um, especially after being at a company for as long as I was and kind of being settled into my routine, if you will. Um, Anybody who works in law or probably anybody in corporate America, I think, but I think particularly with the legal profession, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, stress. You're making decisions that impact not only companies, you're making decisions that impact lives. Um, and really your work does matter. Uh, it's a lot of stress. And I just got to a point where I'm like, I just need some type of an outlet here. Um, I was never kind of a big going out person. I'm more of a homebody. So I started um, running a lot. Um, I was running. I think I really got into it when I was working at Fame in Washington. I used to uh, run to and from work. I'd run in the morning and then most most of the time not at night because I'd get out of work so late. Um, but I'd run to work in the morning, uh, get a few miles in there. My very first race I did, um, I mentioned I, I'm... Wait, I got to hold uh, hold you there. You ran sure. to work. I used to run to work. And then how did you not smell all day? <laughs> I'd stop at the gym. Okay. <laughs> Take I'm a like, shower. <laughs> like, logistically, how did this work out? Because... That sounds great, but <laughs> yeah, I would I would leave very very early. Uh, there was a gym that wasn't too far away, so I'd run there. I'd have a locker. I'd do my switch of clothes. Um, we had no awesome headbands at the time to kind of make that transition <laughs> from working out to real life. Um, notice I'm laying the groundwork there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would run to work. Um, I wasn't very good at it. Um, I never ran before. I didn't know the, the quote unquote right way to run if there is such a thing. But I would just go out when I got tired. I would walk. Um, we now know that is kind of the run walk method. Um, and there's some fantastic people like Jeff Galloway who teaches all about that. Um, but I just kept moving and I liked it. I did my first race. As I said, I missed the Northeast a lot. So whenever I had some time, I'd get back up here. I did my first race was the Falmouth uh, Road Race, which is every summer 
in uh, Falmouth, Massachusetts, and I did the one mile run. And I was pretty impressed with myself. And I said, all right, I'm done. Uh, I never want to run more than a mile again. Um, <laughs> well, and especially that race, it is not flat at all. I mean, I'm, I'm from Cape Cod. Um, I've only run the full race once in my life and I hated everybody. Um, because you signed up for next year. <laughs> you like, you think you're getting towards the end. It's going to be the last hill. And then there's another giant one and you're like, what is happening? Yeah, so anyway, yeah. go on. That's a, that's a doozy, that one. But uh, it was a lot of fun. And then I was like, all right, I'm done. I did what I had to do. And I kind of got uh, bit by the running bug. I loved it. I continued to uh, run. And then when I did finally move up here to the Northeast, I started to get very active with running. I started joining uh, different runs in the park. I learned about New York Road Runners, which is a fantastic organization for anybody who's in the New York area. Uh, they really made running fun. Uh, they had a lot of really good run-themed um, events in Central Park. I met a lot of great people, kind of gotten taken out of my zone. But really why I started running was just an outlet for me to kind of vent my stress. And it worked. It was, a really, you know, after a really long day, you're able to kind of just get out there, pound a few miles or start the day off in a great way. Um, and it does. It releases all the endorphins and things don't seem as bad after a good run. Um, so that's really how I got started. And then while you were doing this, as you mentioned, um, the headband thing, it, like, I know men who are listening to this are now rolling their eyes because they're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but we're opening their eyes to it with our men. Yeah. Maybe. But like <laughs> women, every, every woman knows this, like you're working out and your headband starts flying off your head somehow. Oh, it was so annoying. Oh, so annoying. Um, or it it's too tight or, and so like you're getting a headache or, I mean, name a million other things that used to go wrong with headbands. Yeah. It, uh, it was a little bit of everything going on and you know, it's funny. Again, I look back, I'm like, how did I wind up doing what I'm doing? But and then sometimes it's very clear to me and other times the path is like, wow, how did I wind up here? <laughs> uh, headbands wouldn't work for me. Uh, as I said, I was running a lot in the mornings, going to work and things like that. And I had to make a transition from kind of runner Dari to working Dari. And if I had a headband on that I had on that morning, um, it would either just be all just gross from running and sweaty and ugh. And you just wanted something that was a little bit more um, transferable to wear from running to kind of going out, going to work and things like that. And something that wouldn't give you a massive headache right up the back of your head or, you know, slide right off. And the funny part is, is that I, along probably with every other woman, was paying a lot of money for headbands that were no slip, no headache, um, comfortable wicking and nothing worked but yet I kept buying more and more of them and I'm like okay this is not working something's wrong here um 
as part of my running, I started to get more involved with a wonderful organization called Team in Training. And they are the fundraising arm of the Leukemia Lymphoma Society uh, with running. So they raise money for patient services. They raise money for treatment. They raise money for research. So I started to get involved with them. And then I started to volunteer my time every Wednesday night and Saturday night as one of their volunteer coaches. And and the more I ran and the more I was going kind of from work afterwards to run, I would have headbands on a lot and because there was no time to do your hair at all. It was kind of like, all right, get out the door as quick as I possibly can. Um, nothing would stay on my head and I was getting increasingly more frustrated. I would go to these running expos and they're like, we swear they don't fall off your head. You know, here, let, let us take your money <laughs> and I'll let you know where this is going. Um, everybody had, oh, we guarantee it. But you're like, hey, you know, you see him at the next expo, you know, just to let you know, you know, it didn't it didn't really work. Well, we can't take it back. We don't. And it's I really got frustrated that there was all these companies that were kind of targeting runners, but weren't runners and weren't really developing a product for runners. They were just kind of showing up and selling to runners because they saw a market for it. And I said, well, I can come up with something better than this. So I figured something out. Uh, it worked uh, after many different incarnations, and that is really how the company started while I was coaching uh, for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and we had an event that we had to leave. I believe we met our team at like 2 o'clock in the morning for an event, and I didn't get home until 5 o'clock that night, and my headband was driving me so crazy, and that was kind of my moment where actually I should say my headband was like long gone at that point, but my headband during the day was just driving me crazy, and I said to myself, I I need to figure something out here. So I did. Uh, I had this really awesome headband and I used to give it out to the athletes uh, for them to use. And my only intention was to do some fundraising um, when we had different events with the headbands, but people started to learn about it and word started to travel amongst the running communities uh, and especially now with social media. And people are like, where can I get the headband? How can I get the headband? And then uh, it turned into a business. Um, I left my job uh, a few years ago and uh, stopped practicing law and doing this full time now because we really found a product that didn't slip, didn't give you a headache. It doesn't have a piece of black elastic in the back like 99% of the headbands on the market had where it would start to stretch out right up the back of your head, give you a headband headache. And it wasn't made out of literally a piece of bathing suit material or spandex and it wouldn't slide off your head and you didn't just pay $20 for it. We really wanted something that was functional for runners that would work, that would stay on your head, wouldn't give you a headache and you should forget you even have it on. And then the flip side of it is we wanted something that was fashionable um, as well as functional and something that wasn't just kind of downright ugly and looked like a Halloween costume, um, something that fit into people's lifestyles. And I, th I think we accomplished it. It's, uh, you know, a, a good combination of the two um, and the amazing customers that we have really are a testament to. It works. Um, if they're happy, we're happy um, and we're thrilled we found a solution for them. And me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when, you know, you say you found, you know, you like, what was the process like to create this or to find the solution? Sure. A lot of uh, different 
tests, a lot of different, uh, you know, we call it research and development, which at the time I was like, this doesn't work. Okay, next, just trying a lot of different things, what works, what doesn't work, and really having runners, including myself and including any of the runners I was working with at team and training, try things on. What do you like about this? What don't you like about this? And then I remember vividly, it was a Sunday night, and I said to my now husband, I said, I'm going out for a run. Um, around the reservoir. I'll be back in a little bit. And I had the newest version that I came up with with the headband on. Um, it's entirely velvet on the inside. Um, it is fully elastic on the outside. There's no break in it. So essentially what it does is it forms to everyone's head shape. Everybody thinks they have a flat head, a big head, a pointy head. Um, and it's funny because, you know, everybody's head looks the same, but everybody's head shape is different. Like everybody's face is different. Um, and it really does conform to your individual head shape. So I put my headband on um, and I forgot I had it on and I was heading home from my run. And again, I vividly remember walking away from the reservoir. I'm like, oh, I lost my headband. I was like, oh, it didn't work. Um, and I touched my head and I was like, oh, wait, it's still on. And I was like, that's it. And it's like, you know, this is it. It was I literally forgot I had it on to the point where I thought it did what all other headbands were doing for me uh, that were on the market up in that point. And that was really just sliding off and stretching out and popping off. And mine hadn't budged. And I was like, this is it. This is perfect. It was kind of like literally one of those cartoons where the light bulb goes off. And I'm like, this works. So were you actually like taking different materials and sewing them together? Were you working with, you know, people who were doing that? Um, you know, uh, how did, like, like what, what was actually happening? My skill set is very limited. I can't sew. I, Neither can I. <laughs> I. I watch, I try to learn, and I know my limitations. So I let the experts do their job um, at our factory with the sewing. But I was literally scotch taping things together. I was using paper clips. I was doing, you know, any type of, you know, adhesive, trying to make things like stay. Um, so it was very, it was very, very basic with what I was doing, trying different materials, trying different measurements, trying um, different combinations of things. And, you know, finally it was kind of the, what worked for me is what we went with. Mm -hmm. And then I, again, I started having other athletes wear it and the comment, the comments were always the same. I forgot I had it on. I forgot I had it on. And that's what we want. Something that you take along on, uh, you know, running or, you know, whether you are a busy, multitasking, awesome super mom who's running around after your kids all day or a, a corporate super powerhouse who's going to work every day. No matter what it is that you do with your day, we want it to be something that you know went along on your journey with you. Um, everybody has their own story, if you will, and everybody has their own challenges. So really want it to be something that was multifaceted that you could wear for really anything. And as you, as most of us do, wear many different hats, um, it was able to to go with you on that, whether you're going to work, uh, whether you're going to work out, whether it's a night out, whether it's a day at home, it should be something that goes with you in your active lifestyle. So I, um, anybody who's listening to this, who has, you know, seen pictures or, you know, on like my Instagram or the podcast Instagram, um, you know, any of the stories where I'm wearing a headband, um, it's a sparkly sole headband. Uh, I literally don't own a single other headband and have not for, Jesus, 
a long time now. Um, I discovered, I think I told you this story, I discovered your company at an expo. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, this looks interesting. And I tried them and just, I've only ever bought from that day forward your headbands because for running for me that's they're the only ones that work um and i remember being at um i think you know the boston expo maybe the year after um the marathon bombings and you guys had the boston strong ones and I still have that one. Um, and I wear it all the time. And I was just like, this is great. Um, but you have such fun things on there that, I, like, it's just great. I mean, there are so many of these types of events that are theme-based. And, um, you know, we talked about um, Disney's Princess Run, right? And mm-hmm. you have princess themed headbands sure do and obviously very sparkly headbands hence sparkly soul um and you know just listening to your story even though your path was so very different than so many other lawyers in our industry right or so many other headband creators um you like every step you can see where that experience is so relevant to you today. Like the event management stuff, you guys are at events all the time now. We are. Uh, we do. We do it very, very well because, again, I learned from the best, and I make sure that we infuse our business with the experience that I've had. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's great. You know, um, you ended up filing a patent for the headband, right? Yeah, yeah, we have a, a very, we actually have a global patent portfolio. We, um, I remember when I was first looking at your headbands and thinking, God, do I, do I want to spend this much money on one headband? And then thinking about how many times I've bought stupid headbands that don't work or that stretch out and then going back and having to buy more and they're less expensive, but I buy more. And then like these, some of these I've had for years, which also just shows that I don't run enough, but I'm wearing one right now. I just remembered uh, as I'm talking to you and I'm pretty much always wearing one when I do an interview (laughs) because I'm home and like in my pajamas and this is just what I do. That is awesome. We, we, you know, really, we work real hard to make sure everybody is happy with our product. Our factory is based here in the United States. Um, we manufacture here. I love that your factory is in New York. It's in Brooklyn, right? That is correct. Um, and I mean, you guys are creating new products geez, all the time. It's just really funny whenever I go on the website and I'm like, Oh, okay. Now there's something themed for Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's just fun. 
There's a lot going on, that's for sure. But the nice thing is in Brooklyn, we have a lot more space. Um, Brooklyn's very trendy. Mm -hmm. Um, We initially started in the garment district here in New York, and we kind of outgrew the space, which is nice. So we needed a lot more room uh, to be able to do what we do um, and be able to maintain the manufacturing and our commitment to quality um, and keep it here. So we moved to uh, the production to Brooklyn, um, and it's worked out great. I mean, sure, I mean, we can go overseas and it could be a lot cheaper. Um, I like to micromanage when it comes to our products. Again, mm-hmm. nothing go- nothing goes out the door uh, without me trying it. And when I say try it, I don't try it on for a run. Um, we came out with wicking headbands that literally took me years to find something that I liked. Um, wicking headbands being kind of the wider um, headbands that go on the forehead. But mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything I liked. Everything was siding. I thought it looked like, you know, a bathing suit on my head. Um, I didn't like the quality of it. I didn't like the feel of it when I ran. Um, and then once we finally find something that works, uh, we stick with it a while. You know, we're, we're the best research and development and runners, you know, a lot of times we'll give them to runners and say, hey, try this out, see what you think. Um, and if it doesn't work, we go back to the drawing board with everything. Um, the same thing with um, a lot of the different products that we come out with. You know, They've taken years, some of them, to perfect to the point where we're happy with them. Right. Like, how do you stick antlers on one of these headbands and not have them be annoying? Not upset the reindeers. Right. <laughs> the running reindeers. Um <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, you know, we want it to be functional. It can't just be cute. A lot of people buy our products. They're like, oh, my friend had it on and it looks so cute. Whether it's, you know, the antlers at Christmas time or you know, a tiara or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and everything is very, very strategically done, um, placed, and uh, it takes a lot of time. But we, uh, I think we do it right. The tiaras are hilarious and yes. so cute. Um, I mean, you've had ones that have flowers on them. Like I just, one of the, the best things that your organization does is you, you know, keep up with what your tradition had been for fundraising for different organizations. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, as I said before, I mean, again, truly, and I, I say this so sincerely, it, what we do is not about the business aspect of things. What we do is kind of the love and joy of running that we have um, and making sure our customers are happy. Um we, we, again, have such an awesome customer base and we make it fun. And I think that's what the brand is about. Um where, you know, I think is important for us in terms of what we do is our roots and our foundation. You know, the reason I came up with the headband was because I was a coach with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And what I did was I trained people to um, go from, you know, sitting on a couch, having no experience running, always being like, I'm not going to be a runner, to actually getting out there and whether it's, you know, a 5K, a 10K, uh, a marathon, uh, an ultra, whatever it may be, getting them to that point. And while they're doing it, being able to fundraise for some really, really good causes of which, as I said, uh, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society with team and training. And that's all this business was started for. It wasn't even supposed to be a business. The business kind of came after the headband um, was developed. But we really try to stay true to our roots. We are in uh, approaching our eighth year of business now, uh, which lets us spread our wings a little bit. So we are going to get a lot more involved with raising uh, funds for you know different 
causes that are very close to uh, our hearts, particularly two things that really matter to me are uh, animals. Um, I absolutely adore animals. Um, I think it is so important that we take care of our little fuzzy friends. So we'll be doing a lot more with that in cancer research in the future as well. Um, I mean, what which one of us hasn't been impacted by um, both of those things, whether it's, you know, again, our furry friends or cancer and things like that. So we really kind of want to be part of a solution and you'll be seeing a lot more for us on the charity circuit uh, with what we do. But yeah, we've done a lot of work. We work with a lot of people who are trying to fundraise. Uh, we're not, again, looking to raise the money for ourselves. We're looking to make sure that we raise money for some really good funds out there and for some good fundraising, uh, again, for cancer research, uh, different things that people are taking on that are personal to them. So we try to stick with that and you know donate wherever we can and help out whenever we can. I love that. I love both of those causes. I'm a big fan of the furry friends um, and not a big fan of the cancer. So, you know, I think those are great. Um, What do you do by way of self-care? In terms of relaxing? Whatever self-care means to you. Relaxing. Um, I try to, you know, it's hard for me because business and life is so kind of interwoven, as I said, as a runner. And you know, I take things personally. Um, I take it home with me a lot. Um, I try to spend as much quality time with my husband as possible um, and really just kind of enjoy um, you know, what I'm doing and the ride with everything. I think it's really important to have that balance of personal and professional. I am the biggest advocate of hard work, but I also think you need to kind of balance the playing field a little bit and do things that you enjoy. Obviously, I enjoy running. Um, I try to get out to run as much as I can and uh, really just kind of, again, balance that out with the two. Um, I really, I'm, I'm so grateful for my husband. Um, he has been nothing but supportive. I mean, I was, you know, downright scared to kind of leave my practice because I established myself and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I'm walking away to a, from a career that I spent so many years building to kind of go to what essentially was a startup. And, you know, he's always been really supportive of it. And, um, you know, that, that's really important to me. So I try to make sure that we have time together um, and do some fun things. And I'm guessing spending some snuggle time with that dogo of yours is also very helpful in the self-care department. He's a puppy, so there's not a lot of snuggling going on right now. There's a lot of, there's a lot of bouncing going on right now. <laughs> we laughed that we should have named him Tigger because he just doesn't sit still. Um, yeah, we have a uh, Tucker is, uh, let's see what he is right now. He's almost 10 months now, a golden retriever. Oh, gosh. Um, he is from our last pup-up that we had, which is Riley, who unfortunately passed away to cancer. Um I had a real hard time getting another dog after Riley. Like yeah. very, very difficult t- time. I felt like, wow, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for this. But he's really kind of been a great thing to have in my life because he does a lot of things that Riley did um, on a daily basis that I forgot about. Um, little things, things that kind of fade with memory. And he makes me laugh because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when she did that. And he creates some really good new memories um, for me, which is really nice. But she was a very quiet 
snuggle bug, you know, <laughs> wanted to be around you and cuddle. Yeah. This one wants no part of it. Absolutely nothing. He's on the go. So I can't wait till he's old enough to get out there with runs with me. Uh, I think he's going to be a awesome running buddy. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. When they're little like that, they're just like little uh, world, like, you know, little whirlwinds running yeah. around. Um, you forget that when, you know, as they age. Oh my goodness. He's like, literally I was coming home from an expo on a plane and I think, uh, Christopher, Christopher Robin was on, uh, one of the, on JetBlue or something. And I was watching it and Tigger came on. I'm like, Oh my God, that's my dog. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, you know, talking about your story and the experiences and then obviously for talking about your company and, uh, and just for having an awesome product that I personally absolutely love. Uh, Well, thank you. We think you're awesome too. I'm so grateful to Dari for coming on and spending some time with me and letting me kind of geek out. (laughs) Um, If you are loving this podcast, which let's be honest, you are, please make sure you are rating and reviewing and subscribing, of course, on whatever podcatcher. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, um, any of those. Uh, Rating really helps us um, and allows new people to just like pop by and just shows up in their little feed of like things you should like. So um, please do that. And as always, you can find show notes on radioinfluence.com. We're a little bit on hold with the website right now, which is normal. And um, yeah, um, you know, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're at LTPF pod. And this episode was, you know, written as much as it can be written by me and produced by myself. Editing, audio engineering, and design were by Jerry Petuck at Radio Influence. And Leveling the Playing Field is a part of the Radio Influence Network. Have a great week, y'all. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 